Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. We are in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 9 through 13. Um, We're not going to be getting through all of this tonight, but uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up. I'm reading out of the ESV, uh, just in case you guys are wondering. Verse 9 says this, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those who sinned against us, or we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Last week, we hit kind of towards the very end about God our Father and and how we don't find a whole lot of evidence of rabbis, of of people um, of Jewish, Jewish descent praying to God as Father up until about the 10th century A.D., with the exception of Jesus. Now, we talked about the bigness of what it means for God to be our Father, that this is a, this is a knowing Him on an, on an intimate and personal level. And it was one of the reasons why they wanted to crucify Jesus. Um, we find that in, in John 5. It's one of the reasons they like, man, they wanted to kill Him all the more because of His claim as being the Son of God. And before we get too familiar and too cozy and too um, buddy, buddy with God, Jesus goes on to say, hallowed be thy name. And, and the reason I'm saying this is because I'm sure at some point we all have dishonored and disrespected our earthly parents. Um, earlier this week, two days ago, my dad comes over on Mondays to watch my son, gives up his time, doesn't ask a dime from me. He brings him donuts or pancakes, whatever, like a good pappy should, right? And so I'm getting ready for work. My wife is already gone. My dad is, is cutting up these like trucker-sized bites for my two-year-old to eat. And so I say, hey, give him smaller bites. And he keeps, and then my son's like gagging and like spitting him out, like, give him smaller bites. I say, yeah, dad, give him smaller bites. And about that time, my wife texts me. He's like, hey, how's the day going? How's Owen doing? I was like, he's doing great. I'm just having to yell at my dad to stop like shoveling food in our son's mouth. Now my wife has her uh, iMessage connected to her iPad my son was at the breakfast table. My dad was there with him. My son was watching cartoons on the iPad. Don't judge me. Um, and he sees the text message pop up of me complaining about him behind his back, right? And he goes, he goes hey, if you're going to talk about me, maybe don't uh, text where I can read it. And I was like, touche, dad, touche, my apologies. And he just laughed about it. But it's one of those moments where you're like, yeah, maybe not the most respectful thing to do to my dad. And the truth is, we all can get like this. You know, we, we at times, no matter how old we are, kind of forget the authority that our parents command, like no matter their age. And so when we're coming to the Lord's Prayer, we see our Father in heaven, right? He's separated from earth. He's way different than our earthly father, but he is still our father. But before we get too, oh, daddy God, right? Before we get too cozy, he says, hallowed be thy name, that we remember who we are praying to. Hallowed be thy name. Some translations read, may your name be kept holy. Um, When Jesus was teaching this, 
And when he said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, there wasn't like this gasp that went through the people. They're like, hallowed be thy name. What? This this wasn't a a revolutionary teaching. Um, We look in, in Exodus 20. You guys ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Anyone? Yep. Yeah, the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20. You must not take, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. What Jesus is doing here is he's using like the positive arguments for this. So um, if God in Exodus 20 is using negative, not negative in the sense of incorrect or wrong, but he's saying, don't do this. Jesus in the positive sense is saying, do this. So I could make the same argument for keeping your room clean. If I say, hey, don't get your room dirty. Hey, keep your room clean. It's the same argument, same thing. One's a negative, one's positive, just how you phrase it. It's not bad, not incorrect, but God's saying, hey, don't take my name in vain. He's reminding the Israelites to not use his name in a, in a way that is disconnected from his presence, uh, from his, his person, or from his power. Don't use it lightly. And Jesus is saying the same thing. He's saying, hey, that, that you are to keep the name of God holy. Now, this isn't a prayer where Jesus is crossing his fingers it's like, oh, I hope you stay holy, right? Mm, come on, God, right? If God was holy from the beginning of time, he is going to continue to be holy, right? There's nothing that we can do to, to make him change his character. That's something God will not change his character. His character is immutable. He is holy. He will always be holy. But Jesus is saying, hey, may your name be kept holy. Hallowed be thy name. Now, when we say the word hallowed or holy, what we're saying is that it is set apart. It is, it is used for a specific purpose. Um, in 1 Peter 1, 16, Peter writes, tells us that since it is written, you shall be holy because I am holy. But this isn't necessarily what Jesus is talking about. We're to be holy, but we have to understand that what it means, what it means when we say, may your name be kept Holy, because what we are doing when we are keeping his name holy is we are attributing to him um, the holiness that's already his and has already been his. To hallow God's name is to revere, it's to glorify, it's to honor, it's to obey him. And so we're going to get into a couple of different aspects of this. What is hallowed be your name? Like we are keeping the name of God holy, but then how does this live out in our lives? So, like I just said, to be holy is to be set apart, it's to be unique. And God is absolutely holy. I would say uniquely holy in the sense that we are called to live holy lives, but God is is unlike anything that ever has been or ever will be holy. That there is, that's who he is. Um, And we see, so we'll say that like God is love, right? Well, it's a holy love. Say that God judges, he dispenses justice. It's a holy justice that he is in and of himself holy. And so because God is so vastly unique and so vastly different than anything we could understand, his name is much more than just his title. What it comprises, it comprises his character, it comprises his will, it comprises his plans, it comprises everything about him. We see in the Old Testament these these names that are given to God these attributes that are given to God. We see um, God in the Old Testament as Elohim, the creator God. We see him as El Elon, 
possessor, possessor of heaven and earth. We see him as uh, Jehovah Shalom, God our peace. We see him as Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. And we see several different names in the Old Testament. And it's not like, oh, this is one God. This, no, it is God in his fullness. That, that, all, that everything about him is who he is. We see in, in Hebrew poetry, um, we see examples kind of in, in Psalm um, 7 and, and Psalm 115, where there are these parallels. Um, so for example, Psalm 7, verse 17, uh, the psalmist is writing, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. There are these parallels that show that his righteousness and his name are synonymous, that he is righteous. We see in Psalm 115, um, uh, verse one, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So his steadfast love and his faithfulness synonymous with who he is. Like this is who we are talking about when we talk about God, that, that may your name be given the respect and honor that it is due in its fullness because everything about you is completely holy. Man, I've got, I've got friends who, who say, who would claim they are Christians and will use the name of Jesus in a very like flippant, um, I don't want to say expletive, but almost in an expletive way, you know, where it's like someone does something surprising and they're like, they're like Jesus, you know, and I'm like, whoa, like, let's, let's pump the brakes there, you know, or where, you know, like um, people will say, no, I, I swear to God. Like, well, hey, let's let's chill out here a little bit. Let's 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 calm, let's understand that not just in our words are we to keep his name holy, but in everything that we do. First um, Peter three fifteen says this, and I just ripped out my bookmark. Is I need to get some new bookmarks. Good thing I have it written down right here. Um, Peter writes, but in your hearts, honor Christ as holy. In your hearts, honor Christ as holy. So it's not just may your name be kept holy, but in our hearts. Because if Christ is honored in our hearts as holy, guess what that's going to happen? Is he is going to be honored as holy in our actions. That is going to be lived out in what we do. That we are going to be obedient to him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God that we are keeping his name holy, not just in the words that we use. It's not just an attitude that we have, but we're keeping his name holy. Why? Because we bear his name as followers of Christ, that we are Christ's ambassadors. And so we obey him. We keep his name holy through our words, through our mindset, but also through our actions, that we are obedient in everything that we do, giving glory to God in everything that we do. Hallowed be your name. Why? Because you are holy. You are absolutely holy. And so everything that I do, I'm going to do with the sense of awe and wonder and giving glory and respect to you because you are worthy of it. Jesus goes on to pray. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, What is the kingdom of God? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did you look at my notes? Did you look at my notes? <laughs> so yeah. Um, so there's very true. So there's a few. There's a few senses, like a few um, ways we could describe the kingdom of God. We could think of it as a a king 
ruling over his kingdom. Um, so you think of, of movies, you think of Robin Hood, where Richard the, the Lionheart comes in at the end, the king of England. He is ruling over his domain. Uh, you think of, who was it, uh, George III, who was king during the American Revolution. These, these monarchs, they are ruling over their territory. Well, God's the creator of all things. Um, he is sovereign over all things. So all things are under his authority. Everything falls into his kingdom, right? Yeah, that's absolutely one way to look at the kingdom of God. Uh, another thing is exactly what Anthony said, that the kingdom of God is um, living and ruling in our hearts and in our lives, in, in, the, in the, 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 the hearts and, and minds of believers. Yes, and the kingdom, in a sense, has yet to come because Christ has not returned um, to rule and reign over all with every knee bowed and every tongue confessed that he is Lord, right? So there's a few different ways that we can look at the kingdom of God. And, and so when Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done, not necessarily talking about the first one, kind of talking about the last two. Um, we see in Matthew chapter three and four, where, where John the Baptist and Jesus both say uh, very similar things. John the Baptist in verse, uh, Matthew 3, verses 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, again, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Um, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, side note, um, for people who think that Jesus just came to preach love and all that's good and you're just cool the way you are, um, repent. Turn away from what you're doing. The kingdom of God is at hand. So, kind of the turn and burn message was a lot of what uh, Jesus preached as well. But what Jesus and, and John the Baptist both are talking about in this sense is more of like a salvific kingdom, um, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that, that this kingdom is going to be ruled by God's Messiah, who he chose not just to be our redeemer, but he chose to be king of kings and Lord of lords. Um, if you think of it in this sense, you know, the birth was kind of the inauguration, but the king's here, he's arrived, you see the angels uh, celebrating. They have a concert in the sky, and the king has arrived. And, and it reaches its pinnacle when he ascends into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, given the name that is above all names, um, given authority over everything in heaven and on earth, and it will reach its fulfillment when he returns. And so you kind of see what this is looking at. And so th this is the kingdom that Jesus is talking about. The salvation kingdom is at hand. Um, and, and, and like has already been stated, that in one sense, it's a present reality in our lives. The kingdom of heaven is, is active and ruling and reigning in our hearts. But then in another sense, it's, it's yet to come and reach its, its, its culmination. Um, I like what uh, Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 27 says. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Um, an actual, like a closer to... Uh, a Greek translation of that is saying, um, behave as citizens worthy of the gospel. The NLT phrases that as live as citizens in heaven. I believe it's Philippians chapter three, verse 20. Yep. Um, but our, it's not on there. It's not in your notes. Um, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are now citizens, believers, are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, that we are living in a manner that um, Christ's kingdom is here on earth. Uh, John Calvin said, it's the job of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. How do we do that? It's, it, it's through how we live. Yeah, 
It's, it's bearing witness that we really believe that Christ is king, that in the way we use our finances, that we glorify God, that your kingdom has come to my checkbook, right? It's how we lead our families, that your kingdom has come, that I am submitted to you and that I'm leading my family in a way that honors you, that I'm laying down my life, that I'm submitting um, um, my authority to you. And then in return, you know, uh, showing my family how to lead because of how you led, that we are doing this in our jobs, that we're doing this in our school, in our friend groups, that we are showing the world that the invisible kingdom is a reality in our lives. It's how we are saying, hey, may your kingdom come in our lives. Because sometime in the future, this invisible kingdom is going to be very visible. And at one point or another, we are going to bow before the king either as faithful subjects or as strangers who never wanted Christ as our king. Romans, 10, or Romans 14 verses uh, 10 through 12 says this, Why do you pass judgment on your brother, or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the purpose of prayer, and that it's basically us coming into submission to Christ. Uh, Oswald Chambers said this, prayer is not getting things from God. That is the most initial stage. Prayer is getting into perfect communion with God. I tell him what I know he knows in order that I may get to know it as he does. This part, this part of the Lord's Prayer may be one of the most difficult parts for me, and, and, um, and, and here's why, if you want to try to follow me, because it comes down to us trusting in the person and work of God. Um, follow my thinking here. So first, he's our father. He's our, he's our heavenly father. He's our good father. Awesome. Yes, right? He's a good father who's holy. Man, you, you are a good father. You care for your children. You provide for your children, even though we may not always see it as good. I've used this example before that um, when I have to give my son medicine, he always fights me. He doesn't like it. Um, but I know that it's best for him. He doesn't understand that yet. And so, you know, God is our good father. And so we say, okay, work in me. Like you're, you're working for my good. You're in heaven. You're holy. You're unique. We're all on board. May your kingdom come, may your will be done. You know what that means? It means that, that our kingdom is collapsed and our will is submitted. That's, that's a difficult prayer to pray. Um, and, and I think I threw some people off a couple of weeks when I talked about selfish prayers, but I'll be the first to admit that I do pray selfish prayers. But here's, here's the thing that we have to understand when it comes to that. Um, there's a difference between praying selfish prayers and then getting mad when God doesn't answer in the way that you wanted. And then us praying selfish prayers and saying, your will be done. Because what, what we're checked with really quick is our trust with God, right? Because we can, say, we can say your will be done, but if we don't like the way his will shakes out, we kind of see that our, our trust with God is really dependent on what happens to us. All right, if things work out the way I want it to, God, I trust you with all that I have. But if his answer is no, or if his answer is wait, then you're like, you don't hear me. Why haven't you answered my prayers? Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 say this. You're probably familiar with it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Philippians chapter 4 
uh, verses six and seven says this, do not be anxious about anything, um, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you that true submission um, to the king does not go unrewarded. A lot of times the reward that we are looking for is the answer to our prayer, right? God, I'm, I'm bankrupt. I need financial security. God, answer me like I need, I need a blessing, right? I need, I need, a, I need a gifts in the mail and, and surprise checks and raises and bonuses, right? I need all this stuff. God, I need healing. God, I, I need a promotion. Yeah, I need these things. God, hear me. Can I tell you that true and honest submission to, to the king doesn't go unrewarded? but it's often not necessarily what we are looking for. Um, but uh, Proverbs tells us that when we trust in him, when we don't lean on our understanding, that he makes our path straight. Philippians tells us that when we, we, we don't be anxious, we pray and we give thanks. And what is our reward? It's a peace that passes understanding that guards our hearts and guards our minds. That the reward that we are wanting is right there, but we have to open our eyes and be like, oh, this is... This is what it means. This is what trust really means, is that I have a peace even when my prayer isn't answered. So, we, so we, a lot of times we can think that we're just silently suffering. I'm just a suffering soldier, but we've been rewarded. We've been given what we've needed to get through what we're dealing with. And this is what it's saying. God, your kingdom come. Rule and reign in my heart. May your will be done on earth because it's being done in heaven. Do it here on earth as well. Do it in my heart. Right? We've got a good father. We've got a holy father. Why would we not trust him? Why would we not say, okay, I trust you. I trust you. And our trust constantly gets checked. Right? We can think we're doing well. And the truth is, no matter what you're going through, that is what's going to check your trust in this moment. So maybe you're, you're in college and you're like, hey, this English class is really like I am having to trust that God is going to carry me through it. That's where you're at. Maybe you're going through a divorce and, God, and you're like, God, I'm having to trust you in this. Maybe you're going through a health um, situation and you're like, God, I'm having to trust you. We all have these different moments. And guess what? You're going to come out of that. And then in a week, a month, a year, however long, there's going to be something else that comes up where you're like, all right, God, I, I, am, I am having to learn and remember what you taught me last time when it comes to trusting you. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Okay, why? Because you're good. And I know that I can trust you. And Jesus goes on to finish praying. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Have you guys ever come across, an, uh, I guess it's an acrostic or an acronym that helps remember kind of the order of prayer. Um, I've heard of the one pray, P-R, when, how to pray, you pray. You P-R-A-Y, you praise, repent, you ask, you yield, you wait. Um, I've heard of acts. You, there's adoration, there's confession, there's thanksgiving, there's supplication, where we bring our needs before God. And a lot of us will rush through these first few to get to the part where we get to tell God what we need. It's like, yeah, thanks, God. I love you. Okay, forgive me for this. All right, now here's my list of things that I want. Um, but if we look at the Lord's Prayer, we see this thread, this pattern happening where it's um, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name your kingdom come, your will be done. God, 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 God. And then this is where we get to give us 
give us. So this is where we get to the part of, okay, this is what we need for provision. Um, This prayer may seem really odd to us living in America in 2023. Give us this day our daily bread. Um, Maybe I just don't I don't efficiently use my groceries, but I could open up my pantry and be like, I could probably make it for a couple weeks, right? Eating all those cans of food that we bought in 2020 that we thought we were going to need that we never got to, eating all that tens of pounds of rice and beans that we bought, right? It's like, okay, like give me today my daily bread. Probably good for a couple weeks, but thanks God, right? I appreciate it. Um, It may have been relevant to to the first century Jews living in Israel at this time, but is it does it mean this part is irrelevant to us today? No, absolutely not, right? Because this prayer is a couple of things. One, it's, it's a request that God would grant us what we need, that he would provide for us. It's also an affirmation that God is the one who provides for us. That, yes, God, I need you to provide for me, but also what I need comes from you in the first place. Um, James 1.17 tells us this. It says... Uh, do not be my deceive my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We see in the Old Testament where Abraham is, is uh, going to sacrifice Isaac, his one and only son, his son that was promised to him to be um, the spark that is, is, uh, ignites this massive growth, right? Where Abraham's descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, And God says, hey, go sacrifice your son. And we see in um, Genesis 22, starting in verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to the father Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering my son. So they went, both of them, together. This is where we see um, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. This is the first instance of where we see that in Genesis 22. And so I want to take a couple of, uh, of, of minutes as we're wrapping up tonight, just to pull out the individual words of this request. Um, and, and like any good lesson, uh, thanks to uh, Microsoft Word Thesaurus, I was able to make them all start with the letter S. So, you know, chalk one up in the wind column if you get nothing else. And so the first part we see is give, right? This is the request or start with an S. This is the supplication. This is what we are asking for that God would give. And what, what holds up this request um, is the promises of God. It's that God has promised in his word to give us what we need. We see in Psalm 37, uh, and we're going to look at, at uh, several verses in this chapter Uh, Verse three and four, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Promise of God, he will give you the desires of your heart. We go down to Psalm 37, verse 10 and 11. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And then verse 25 I have been young and now I am, an old. I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. We go before God confidently. We approach him with boldness because we know that he is going to do what he promised for his name, for his glory. He is going to uphold his end of the bargain. He is going to give us what we need. And so we go to the second part. We go to give us. So who is us? It's the seekers, right? So you're like, what's the supplications give? Who are the seekers? It's us. 
Now, who was the us? Us. If we just addressed God as Father, that means us as His sons and daughters, His children. It's believers. Give us. Now, God is not obligated. If we go back to Psalm 37, God is not obligated to provide for the wicked, the unrighteous, the unbelievers. You're like, that's mean. Sorry. He does. We see where in in Matthew where he provides rain um, for the good and the bad, right? He does because he is a gracious God, but he is not obligated to provide for anyone other than his children. So the us is, is, is children. Jesus tells us in Luke 18, um, verses 29 and 30. Um, wrong chapter. I'm in Luke 9. There it is. He said, if anyone would come after me. Nope, that's still there. It is. There it goes. I'll read this. He said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. God is holding up the promise for his children. He is answering the request of his children. So we've got the supplication, we've got the seekers, and now we've got the substance. What are we asking for? We're asking for bread. Give us today bread. And this is, this is a promise to take care of our physical need, but there's also a spiritual element that we can't overlook as well, right? Jesus said in Matthew 4, when he's battling the devil, you know, when he's going back and forth, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so, yes, God, supply me with what I need physically to sustain my life. But also, like, I just can't live on bread alone. I need you to be my source of life. Um, Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So God, provide what I need physically, but also provide what I need spiritually. If you want to say, hey, what's that look like practically? As I am praying through the Lord's Prayer, as I'm kind of walking through um, just these individual parts, I'll come to this and I'll say, God, thank you for what I have. Thank you for that. You are my provision that you have given me everything I have. God, I don't know what today holds. I don't know what pain is going to happen. I don't know what tragedy might strike. I don't know what conversations I'm going to have. I don't know what kind of stress there might be. I don't know what kind of decisions I'm going to have to make, but you do. And because of that, God, give me the strength I need to make it through whatever heartache may come. God, give me the wisdom in conversations that I have. God, give me peace to deal with the stress and anxiety. God, give me clarity and direction and guidance for decisions that need to be made. You see what's happening here. It's not God just thank you for providing for me, but there's, there's stuff that I need from you on a daily basis because I don't know. So give me what I need. And then what does that schedule look like? We're going the last S. Actually, it's not the last S. We got one more. What's that schedule look like? It's daily. God, give it to me daily. So a couple things about this is that we go before God daily. Go before God daily. Relying on him daily. Trusting in him daily to sustain us. It's very easy for us to get into a rut when things are going great and forget that, oh, yeah, 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 I need God to sustain me. And that when things are going great, oh, he is the one that's sustaining. He is the one that's providing. He is the one that's carrying me. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. How often? Daily. This is, this is a daily thing. And I think this is one thing that several people might miss. Um, you know, we do a, a, a salvation prayer at the end, which is fantastic. But I think people might miss the follow-up on the back end. That it's not 
hey, I prayed a prayer one time, I'm good. No, 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 there is a daily call to rely on God to sustain and provide for you. And so we, we, we walk, we pick up our cross daily. We, we trust him to provide for us daily. And understand this, God gives us vision of where we want to go. You may have a vision for your family, man. I want my family to grow up in the knowledge of who Christ is, right? I want um, like my family to go on vacation or whatever. Like I want um, to be at this level of my job in five or 10 years that you're like, I want, you know, as a church, we have vision of where we want to be in a couple of years. That God gives us vision for where we want to go in the future. With, you know, where there's no vision, the people perish. But he gives provision for today. Vision for future, provision for today. That there is a daily trust, a daily reliance on him. Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Right? Understand this. God gives us bread daily. So who's the source of it all? God. God the Father. Did you realize that, that God provided for Adam before he even created Adam? Adam was God's last creation. He said it's good. And takes a nap, takes a day off. He said, hey, I've given you everything you need. He provided for Adam before Adam even existed. He continues to provide for us. He's the source of all we have and all we need. We look at Deuteronomy 8, 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. In Acts 17, 24 and 25, the Lord who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Man, Our Father in in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. These are the first few parts of the Lord's Prayer. Um, Next week, we should be wrapping up the Lord's Prayer, and then we may have another week on on what it means to be people of prayer. Um, But thank you guys for joining us tonight. Let's close in prayer. Father, we come before you this evening just thanking you, God, that you are a good father. God, and because of that, we can readily submit our lives to you, trusting in your will, trusting in your plan, knowing that you are completely good. God, continue to provide for us each day and continue to remind us of our need for you each and every day. Father, we thank you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.